All right, take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. I originally thought I would preach from Romans today, but I couldn't get my outline to flow very good, so go with the traditional sermon. You can find this sermon at (laughs) goodsermon.com. Matthew chapter 21. We'll take our reading, verses 1 to 17, and then we'll turn to chapter 27. On a Sunday, two millennia ago, um, this is what happened. Matthew 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and said, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them, and they went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Now let's turn to chapter 27, verses 11 to 26. And we'll read what happened just a few days later. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered... Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas 
or Jesus who is called the Messiah. For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him, that they who had handed him over are the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message, probably a text message. (laughs) Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. Now, I want to give you a sermon about what caused the people to turn against Jesus. What causes them to turn against Jesus? The answer is in verse number 20, where it says that the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. These people persuaded the crowd that had gathered, talked them into, convinced them, persuaded them, sold them, on betraying Christ. He talked them into this. They talked them into it. Now, I want to give you a sermon about... You can change this slide now, Ed. I want to give you a sermon about... How many are up there? Five. I want to give you a sermon about five kinds of people that will uh, get you to do things you wouldn't normally do. Five types of people who can persuade you to do things you shouldn't or who will convince you to do things that you will regret later. Now, sad to say, one, two, three, four, five. Um, I changed this outline a little bit so it doesn't quite match what I'm going to give you. <laughs> so, so read and listen carefully, all right? Read and listen carefully. Now, we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his public word. The first thing I want to talk to you about are proud people. Proud people. We are always under the influence of the people around us. People are always trying to persuade us to do things to get th- that they want to do. Now, have you guys ever went out, took your wife out on a date, and you had in your mind where you wanted to eat? And you said, I think we're going to, and you say, well, we're going to go out to eat. And you say, well, where are we going to go? Well, I think we're going to go down here to McDonald's. And your wife, she, she kind of makes that face, you know, that you can tell her whole posture kind of changes. And you realize, well, where do you want to go? And then there's the great debate. <laughs> We're always under the influence of people. Now I want to warn you today about people who will convince you to do things you shouldn't do. And the first is proud people. I wish you'd take your Bible and turn to Proverbs 13, chapter 10. Proverbs 13, chapter 10. Proverbs 13, verse 10. Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. People who are proud, they never consider that they could be wrong. 
They, all, they are convinced that their way is the right way. And that is exactly what you see in the persuasion of the chief priests and the elders. They were proud. They were lifted up. They were elevated because Jesus came into their world and he tipped their world over because he did not have any respect for them. He knew what they really were. He wouldn't honor them, but they felt like they were worthy of honor. And so because they felt like they were worthy of honor, their sense of worth had been offended. What did they have between them and Jesus? Strife. The authorized version says it like this, Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention. Conflict, pride. When you have two people who are very proud, when people are proud, they are inflexible. They're blinded by their own arrogance. And they can't figure out what they should, what the right answer is. They can be blinded by it. And when you are a proud person, you are bent on strife, causing a conflict. Proud. It's got to be my way. There's no other way here. They're convinced that their way is the only way. And when they're convinced their way is the only way, they try very hard to get people to go their way, to follow them. Because if they change their attitude, if they change their approach, if they change their opinion, they would be wrong. Now, what's wrong with admitting when you're wrong? What's the answer to that? Nothing. Unless, unless it makes you look bad, unless it humbles you. Some people are so devoted to their arrogance that they will not change no matter what they do. They're not going to give in. Now, I know a guy who is about 44, <laughs> preaches regularly, <laughs> who is... A very proud person. I don't like to admit when I'm wrong. Have you ever been in a debate with somebody? Now, when you're, when you're in the preaching business, you get in debates all the time with other preachers. And I've had other guys just turn me every which way but loose, and I know I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong, but because I'm so proud, I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. And so I'll just keep on arguing and arguing and arguing, and I'll be unrelenting in my resistance, even though when I know I'm wrong, because I'm proud. And that, 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 that dogmatism, that tenacity causes strife, it causes conflict. Let me give you a few verses from Proverbs chapter 16 about proud, just so you get an idea how it works. In Proverbs 16, 2, it says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Just because you think it's the right thing to do doesn't mean it is the right thing to do. Just because you are convinced that your way is the right way doesn't mean it is the right way. It has to be measured by something, by some absolute standard of truth like God's word. Proverbs 16.5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Some people are, are externally, they have a pseudo-humility, a facade of humility, but inside they are very proud. And the Lord detests all the proud in heart. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. The proud, they try to enlist their people to go along with them, but they are headed for a fall. And if you are following proud leaders, arrogant leaders, you too are headed for a fall. You too are headed for a fall. This happens on a national level. Happens on a local level. It can happen in a church too. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 28. 
A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. If Proverbs 13.10 is true, and only conflict comes through pride, then there's a perversity in pride. There's an arrogance in it. Charles Spurgeon, that great Baptist preacher, he said nothing in Scripture is condemned more consistently or eloquently in Scripture than pride. Pride. Pride will take you low, low. The second group who will try to lead you to do things you shouldn't do are false teachers. False teachers of Scripture. I'm not talking about false teachers of philosophies, although they can lead you astray. I'm warning you about false teachers of Scripture because not everyone who holds a Bible in their hand is telling the truth. Not everyone who says they are a messenger from God is a messenger from God. False teachers of Scripture. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, I, will put up, I hope you will put up with me a little in foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband to Christ so that I may present you as a virgin to him. He's talking about to the church. The church is presented to Christ as a chaste virgin. And with, with that kind of affection for them, he's warning them about false teachers who creep into churches to lead them astray, who will try to seduce them from the path of righteousness. Listen to the, the warning in verses 13 through 15. Such people are false apostles, deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. There are false teachers out there who try to lead people away from God. They, are, they appear to be legit but they're actually satanic messengers. Satanic messengers. Trying to lead people away from Scripture. Leading people away from God. Remember, Palm Sunday, the people were praising and glorifying Christ. Everybody's doing it. But then a week later, the elders and the chief priests had persuaded those very same people who had been praising Christ and honoring Christ just a week later They had been persuaded to not say glory to Christ. They had been persuaded to say what? Crucify him. Crucify him. And now, my friends, I want you to think about this. On any given Sunday, you can walk into church on a Sunday and just be as committed to Jesus as you've ever been. And then by next Sunday, you could be saying, I don't really care about Jesus anymore. People fall under the influence of things and it leads us astray and causes us to do things we wouldn't normally do, to entertain things we wouldn't normally think about doing. We have to be on guard against the influences, against the voices of this world that's around us, of people seducing us and trying to lure us away from Christ, getting us to do some awful thing like betray Him. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, he warns those, those late-era Christians about false teachers who've crept into the churches. And what you and I have to be, as Christian people, to, to resist the temptations, to resist the seductions of the dark world, is we have to know Scripture. Acts chapter 17, verse number 11, says that when Paul came to Berea, that the people at Berea, 
They were more noble than the Christians in the town down the road, Thessalonica. And what made them more noble was everything Paul said. They said, okay, Paul. And they looked for what Paul said in Scripture to see if it could be supported from Scripture. Examining to be sure they are not being led into false doctrine. Now, the third group of people who can lead you astray are wicked men and wicked women. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs 2, verse number 12. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose ways are perverse. And I want you to pay careful attention to verse 13. Who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways. If you have, a, if you have the authorized version in your lap, it might say evil men. Deliver you from the ways of evil men. Evil men and wicked men are different than just bad men. They're different than just bad men. The whole idea here in verse 13 is that these are people who have been on the way of righteousness. They've been on the right path and they decided to leave it. They decided to leave the path of righteousness. And as they walk away from the path of righteousness, they say, Hey, why don't you come with me? Why don't you come along with me? Have you ever noticed how you have one kid or one person, they're always trying to, trying to enlist new people to join their gang, <laughs> to join their group, trying to get somebody to be part of it, always trying to get a friend, always trying to enlist new people, seducing people from the way of righteousness. Solomon says wisdom will save you from those people who've left the, the straight paths to walk in the dark ways. They delight in doing wrong. They rejoice in the perverseness of evil. Their paths are crooked. They're devious in their ways. They're trying to seduce God's people off of the path of right living. To get people to leave church. To get people to stop reading their Bibles and being faithful to their families. These people are out there. Now we tend to think about this kind of thing as just young people. You know, your kids go down to high school, you're not there with them, and they're down there, you know, several hours a day. And you, Who are they going to take up with? Who are they going to be friends with? What's going to, you know, are they going to meet the, are they going to fall in with what? The wrong, the wrong crowd. I always live in fear of that, the wrong crowd. I live in fear of my kids being the wrong crowd. <laughs> I always worry about falling in with the wrong group of people. Because we know it has an influence. We think that's kids, but it's not just kids, is it? It's grown-ups too. The guys you work with, fellas, they put immense pressure on you. They, they, they wield it. Same for you ladies. The people you work with, they, they lay pressures on you. It's, they're, they're relentless in their efforts. Come on. Just once. It won't hurt. Nobody knows. These can be, these people, these wicked people can be friends, they can be family, they can be associates at work, and the pressures can become immense. Look at verse 16. Wisdom will also save you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, 
who has left the partner of her youth, that's her husband, and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep the paths of righteousness. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Their pressures are relentless. And if you follow after wicked men and wicked women, you will not possess the land. You will not be in righteousness. You will be marked for judgment. There are natural consequences to these actions. It doesn't matter who they are. There's that famous story in Scripture of David. He had a son named Amnon. That Amnon was David's number one son, firstborn son. And Amnon, he had, David, he had seven or eight wives. One of his wives bore him a couple kids, one named Absalom and one named Tamar. Absalom and Tamar. And David himself came from a big family. When you have a big family and your brothers have kids and your sisters have kids, and that means you, you got a lot of what's. You got a lot of cousins. And so, you know how it goes. When, you, when, you, when you're the king, when you're the king of a country, who do you give all the good jobs to? <laughs> you give them to your sons and your daughters, your cousins, your nephews and nieces. You kind of build a family coalition. And David's number one son, Amnani. Tamar is his sister. She's his half-sister. And the Bible says she's a beautiful girl, and Amnon takes a liking to her. And in that, I know it seems so foreign to us, but in that culture, it was it wasn't didn't have the same stigma as it does. Uh, didn't have the same stigma then it does today. It's his half sister. He calls he calls for her to come to the house. He he is taken with her in a big way, and his desire for her has been grows into an intense sexual burning desire for her. And so he tells one of his friends, tells one of his cousins. He says, why don't you, and his cousin, his cousin says, why don't you pretend to be sick and tell your dad, King David, to send Tamar over to watch over you, to nurse you back to health. And then when she gets over here, she says, you and her in the house and do what you want. You're the king's son. And that's exactly what happens. He, Amnon rapes his Half-sister Tamar. It's a horrible thing. But the person who influenced him into doing that, the person who said this is what you should do, was his cousin, was his family. So these, these pressures, these wicked people who seduce us and try to lure us into bad behavior, they could be anybody. They can be at your work, in your family. I'll tell you this story. My grandpa, when I was about 14 years old, my dad had a 1984 Buick Regal station wagon. Remember those? Buick station wagon? I mean, it, was a, it was a Saber station wagon. I'm not sure. Big, big station wagon. You guys remember hubcaps? And some of the nicer hubcaps right in the middle had a little center thing, a little center cover. It would pop in and had a little anti-theft device in there so you couldn't steal hubcaps, right? And so my dad had a, a Buick car, and it had all the center caps except for one. He lost one somewhere. And we tried to find one all kinds of places. It's called the junkyards. No junkyard had it. Nobody had one. And so my grandpa, we were driving around town, and all of a sudden, in his truck, we came to a stop. 
And he said, now look, right over there is a Buick station wagon with the same hubcap your dad's has got on it. And he said, go over there. He gave me a little screwdriver. Go over there and pop out that little, that little cover and get it. And I said, I said, well, Paul, do we have permission for that? He said, it's fine. It's fine. Now he said, now, see that fence around that lot? I said, yeah. He said, there's a cut in the back of it over there. Just go through that cut and go over there and pop that off. Now I'm a kid. I don't know beans from buttermilk. It already sounds like a dastardly deed, <laughs> you know? And so, man, I went over there, I snuck through. He said, now, as soon as you pop it off, you get back to this truck and get back here quick. If somebody says anything to you, somebody talks to you, don't talk to them, just go. Well, I thought we were in a hurry. <laughs> well, come to find out. Because we, we put it on my dad's car, and my dad said, where'd you get that? And my grandpa said, oh, we picked it up in town. When we were riding home, my dad said, now, where'd you guys really get that? I told my dad just what I told you. <laughs> Back to Grandpa's house <laughs> to have an extended conversation. I mean, people, it could be anybody can get you to do things you shouldn't do, and you've got to be cautious about it. They'll, they'll put pressure on you to do those things. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. These chief elders and Pharisees, they're trying to get the people to do something they shouldn't do to, to call out for the death of an innocent man, and they do it. My friend, the pressures from the kingdom of darkness in this world are relentless. Relentless. And there's incredible remorse that can come from doing these things. Since we're in this time of the year, we, we think of all the events that take place around the Easter celebration. Who betrayed Jesus? Who's the guy that sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? Judas. And when Judas realizes what he had done, what does he do? He takes the money back, he throws it at their feet and says, so he tries to undo what he's done. But he can't undo it. So what does he do? He goes out and hangs himself, the Bible says trying to get rid of that guilt that he feels for it. You see, some of the things we get talked into doing or seduced into doing, the remorse is so incredible that any kind of joy or pleasure we had in the moment is completely erased. Completely erased. Another kind of people who try to get us to do things we shouldn't do are pretend lovers. People who pretend to love. Listen to this reading from Proverbs chapter 10. Listen to this reading. Proverbs 10, verse 18. Proverbs 10, 18. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. A fool. What's a pretend lover? It's a person who says, you know, I love so-and-so, but dot, dot, dot. Fill in the blank. This happens all the time. I, I love them. I care for them. But, you know, they have this problem. Well, I counter that with Proverbs 10, verse 12. Listen to Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. Love covers all wrongs. How many of you got a kid? Got a kid. You know, and you think about what your, your kids do. 
And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand for this, but you ever had a kid do something that kind of brought shame to you, kind of embarrassed you? Proverbs says, uh, a riotous son shames his father or his mother. That's what it says. Well, if you have a kid who's brought shame to you, you don't talk about it, do you? You don't tell all the dirt on your wife. And if you do tell the dirt on your wife, you are dumb. <laughs> if you tell the dirt on your husband, you are dumb too. When you love somebody, you cover for them. You cover it over. Love covers transgressions. If Valerie ever writes a tell-all book about me, I'm toast. I'm toast. But her love for me has covered over all that stuff, and she won't tell you guys anything bad about me. And if she does, my number is 580-695-3461. And <laughs> we have all these funny little hijinks we tell about each other, all these silly things. But none of the really sad stuff she's not going to tell. And I wouldn't tell you either. Love covers transgressions. You know, in this house of worship right here, if you look around, there are people who've done all kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. And if we love them, we overlook those things. We cover over them. We don't want to sow discord and divide from one another. This is a, a great wickedness. In Proverbs chapter 6, the Bible says, The Lord hates those that sow discord. True love covers over. But these pretend lovers, what they do is they teach us how to say love, but actually reveal hatred. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool because those things are going to come out in one way or another. And then lastly, we have Satan himself. Satan himself who is out to get us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. 1 Peter 5. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Satan is out there prowling around looking for somebody to consume, looking for some easy target to take off. And he'll, he'll come around. Have you, ever been, have you ever been in church and had an impure thought in church? I know you guys don't want to admit it, but it happens. You ever been reading your Bible, trying to pray, and have some wicked thing just leap into your mind? The devil, he, he never stops. He never, ever stops. He's out there prowling around. He's looking. Picture yourself like you're a little, like you're a little chicken in a coop. A little chicken. And every night, the fox comes outside to the chicken, whatever they're called, chicken structure, chicken coop. 
chicken structure. <laughs> Tell I ain't from the country. <laughs> and every night he makes his little trip around looking for a way to get in. Every night, chicken. In Oklahoma, where we lived at Lawton, Oklahoma, you had to lock your doors no matter where you went. You lock your doors. When you get out of your car, you lock your doors. Because every night, if you had a car parked outside, there, was a, there were guys that walked through the city, and they were checking door handles all night long. More than once, I left my car, well, not more than once, a few times I left my car unlocked. You leave your car unlocked, you go out there and get in your car the next morning, and you sit down, and you're like, what is wrong with my car? The glove box is out. All your little ashtrays are flipped out. All your change is gone. Your little money that you, you, know, you get changed back at McDonald's, you put it in a little cup holder, your, your cup holder money is gone. Your cell phone charger is gone. Your pistol has gone. Your AR-15 has gone. Your box of hand grenades is gone. <laughs> I mean, they just take everything. Everything. And they never give up. I mean, they get you one time, and you say, well, they will come back again. They'll be back. They're relentless. One of my friends, I worked, I knew him in Oklahoma. He had, he had cameras at his house outside, right? One of those, uh, they, had this little, they had this little doorbell in Oklahoma called a Bing doorbell. You guys ever seen those things? A little Bing. And it's a little, you walk up to it, and it starts recording. And he said every, he, he lived in a nice little neighborhood every night. For a week, the exact same guy walked up his driveway and checked his door handle on his car that he kept outside. Every night, just relentless, relentless. He said he stayed up late one night, and when the guy came through there, he opened the door and hollered at him. <laughs> and the guy never came back. But that's how the devil is. He's just relentless. He's always sniffing around, always looking for a way in. We've got to be, mind- be sober, be alert. He's creeping around, and he'll devour you. He'll tempt you to get into some stuff you shouldn't get involved in. Now, the sermon is over. Here's the conclusion. My friends, we need to be conscious of the potential that we have for change for the worse. Because today, on Palm Sunday, you may be rock solid in your commitment to Christ But that could change by Friday. That could change. Coming under these heavy influences. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. This week is the anniversary of the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus our Lord. The resurrection, the most world, the greatest event in world history, will be celebrated this week and be remembered. But this week will also be the two millennia long anniversary of Peter's denial of Jesus Christ. Who Peter, in the week leading up to Palm Sunday, Peter said, I will never deny you, Lord. I will never deny you. Everybody else may bail out on you, but I will not bail out on you. And on Friday, about a week later, what do we find Peter doing? Aren't you a Christian? Ah, no, not me. Another person, aren't you one of them? Aren't you a Christian? Aren't you a follower of Jesus? Not me. I don't know the guy. 
A third time. Aren't you, aren't you a follower of Jesus? He swears and says, blankety blank, I don't even know that sucker. He go, he, what a fall. And my friends, you are susceptible to the same kind of fall. You are and I am. We have to take, take warning about these things. Now, it could be that right now you have drifted away from the Lord. Drifted away from Him. I, wa- I, I want you to come back to Him. I really believe that God has sent me here to tell you that too. If you've slipped away from Him in your heart, and you're here today, and God has sent me here to tell you to come back to Him. I mean, this is all by divine appointment. I'm here, you're here to hear this sermon. God is speaking. Come back to Him. If your heart is far away, come back to Him. Draw nigh to Him, and He'll draw nigh to you. It's the promise of Scripture. If you are slipping away from Him, if you can feel yourself just getting further and further from Him, I'm here to call your attention to the danger that you're in. You're getting closer and closer to the edge of Niagara Falls and you're going to slip over. And you might survive the fall, but you're going to get the dog beat out of you at the bottom. We're here to warn you. And it could be that maybe, God forbid, You are one of these seducers, luring people away from God. Maybe you are the bad crowd at your job, in your home. And you're intentionally drawing people away from Christ, away from His Word. That could be you, and if it is you, I'm here to tell you to repent of that wickedness. Stop doing it. You're going to give an account to God for it. Repent of it. If you don't, you'll suffer here and in the future. And in the future. Now let's bow our heads together. Let's have a prayer. What I'd like to do is take... I don't know what your spiritual need is. But if the Lord has spoken to your heart about some matter and you need to pray to him, I'm gonna, Denise is not going to play the piano yet. But for the next one minute, I'm going to watch on my clock. If you, need to do, if you need to do business with God, bow your head and talk to him. Ask him to sustain you. Ask him to forgive you. Let's sit quietly in an attitude of prayer.
Father in heaven, we call upon you. Help us, we pray. In Christ's holy name, amen.